The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. In its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know, when I was looking at this, I was trying to figure out who this was for, because we know that all scripture is written for us. And lots of times as we look at that, we say, who specifically needs to hear this? Who is it that this is written to? And I thought of two different classes are two different types of people. And that the first one who really needs to hear this and think this through is the person who feels like their praise isn't real. And who feels like either like they're faking it or they're a hypocrite. Because this is David saying, praise the Lord, oh my soul, all that is within me, praise the Lord. And he goes on and he talks about all this praiseworthiness of God. I thought, you know, sometimes people come in and they and they sing and they worship, but they don't always feel it. And they, for whatever reason, and there's different reasons that go through, they they don't feel that their praise is real. So I wanted to, to address that. And the other one is people who feel like God is always mad at them because they sin and they struggle and they fall short. And so they have this feeling like God is upset with them or God is mad at them because these people are addressed in this, in this psalm. And so just to start out with, just ask a question. When we sang, did you feel like you were really praising God? Did you feel that your song and your praise was real? Or did you feel like somehow it just wasn't good enough? Somehow you weren't really praising God Somehow or another, you were just faking it while you were singing it. So I want to look at three different people, just uh, just fig, uh, figure people. Um, Tom has been a Christian for many, many years. And when he first became a believer, he knew that his sins were forgiven. And he felt clean for the first time. He felt whole, and it was this whole brand new experience. And it was easy, and it was natural for him to praise God. He just bubbled over and he saw God's work everywhere and he saw God's hand everywhere every green light was a gift from God every parking spot that was close to the door was a gift from God every good thing that happened was a gift from God and he even understood the concept that suffering itself is a gift from God and he wanted to love God with all his heart and soul and might and he wanted to obey God he wanted to do his will he was so excited but years have passed and life has happened and he's lost some of these feelings 
And the subtle grip of sin just seems to have crept in. And now he reads his Bible less, and he prays less, and he rarely praises God from his heart. He drift, he calls it. He said, I slowly <laughs> drifted away from God. And when he says, when people talk about praising God, he said, I can't really relate anymore. I forgot how to praise God, and it doesn't seem real. It just seems like I'm not thinking it. So Julie's a Christian too, but she's had this checkered, checkered past. And although she knows in her head that God has forgiven her, it seems like so many times her heart doesn't quite believe it. So when people talk about being forgiven and being free from sin, and just feeling so free from sin that they can't stop praising God, she has a hard time feeling it and understanding it. And it feels like her praise just keeps falling short. Seems like it's not good enough. Seems like it's not real. John, the third person, wants to be a good Christian. He wants to do what's right. He wants to obey God. He wants to follow God. And he wants to do these things. He wants to read his Bible every day and pray every day and praise God. But it seems like these desires that he has just never happen. He doesn't read his Bible every day. And he doesn't pray every day. He doesn't praise God. He just can't do it all. He can't seem to keep up with it. And so in many ways, he feels like a failure because his life can't be perfect. And he feels like because it can't be perfect, it's not real. And his praise isn't perfect. And so he feels like that can't be real either. And so once again, I ask you, do you feel like you really praise God? Does it feel like it's real? Because I want to spend some time here because I think this is critical. See, your praise doesn't have to be perfect to be real. Let me say that again. Your praise does not have to be perfect to be real. What God wants from you is real praise and not perfect praise. In verse 17 and 28, it says this, because what happens is, is we come up and these things happen and we feel like we're not perfect and we feel like we're not holy. And so oftentimes we feel like our praise isn't, isn't real. And we come up with these verses in scripture. So verse 17 and 18 that we looked at in this Psalm 103 says this, the steadfast love of the Lord is everlast, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. And so sometimes we feel like hypocrites because we don't do that. We don't always fear God. We don't always keep his covenant. We don't always keep his commands. We don't obey God perfectly. And we don't live these sin-free lives. And so we feel like we don't praise God perfectly either. And then we see verses like 20 and 21. And it says, Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do his word obeying the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, and his ministers who do his will. So we think that's kind of the definition of this perfect praise because we see the angels who we know praise perfectly. They're in the throne room of God, seeing God always and praising God always. And once again, we compare themselves to that and we don't have that perfect <coughs> praise. We don't obey him like they do all the time. <laughs> The other type of thing that we do is we come to church and we look around and we see other people who are praising God. And some of them have their hands raised way up high. And we look at that and we compare ourselves to that. And although we read the words of the song, we don't feel it the same way that they do. 
And we don't sing it the same way that they do. And we keep reminding ourselves that we don't obey God, that we keep sinning, that we feel hypocrites like this. And so the question becomes, does that mean that we cannot praise God? Does it mean that when we praise God, it's not real? Does it mean that we're a hypocrite because we, we sin on Saturday and we sing on Sunday? The answer is no, because praise does not have to be perfect. Praise has to be real. And the whole point is that we are not perfect, but that God loves us and he forgives our sins. And that's what, we, that's what we're praising God for, is not that we're perfect, but that he is perfect. And that when we sin, he continues to forgive our sins. That's the whole point of the Bible. The whole point of the Bible is to show that God loves and forgives failed, sinful people. Listen to this quote by a guy named Mark Defutado. Uh, it's a little bit long, um, but listen to this. He says, this whole section, this Psalm 102, he says it's dealing of the good, it's a detailing of the good things that God has done, the benefits that people receive from them. And who are these benefits for? The benefits are for those who fear him. This is stated three times. Those who fear him are those who follow his ways. And those, and they are those who are faithful to the covenant and those who obey his commandment. And listen to this, he says this, while this faithfulness and obedience must be real, it cannot be perfect. For if perfection was required, no one would receive any benefits. Because as the proverb says, who can say I am pure and free from sin? That sinlessness is not, that sinlessness is not meant is abundantly clear from the first and the chief benefit, which is he forgives. He forgives. So if you only get this one thing, just get this. God wants real praise, not perfect praise. And our praise can be real, but it can never be perfect. So God wants real praise, even though it's not perfect. And once again, because it's not perfect, it's what makes it real. Because when you think about it, the first thing that David praises God for is that God forgave David's sins. And we know from other scriptures that David had sins. We can read a story about him and Bathsheba and um, Uriah and that whole mess right there, then his first praise is that God forgives his sin. And so this becomes real praise because the fact that God forgives sins is the proof that we are not perfect, but God still loves us. And this is definitely worthy of praise. One commenter pointed out this, he says, it is in praise that the believer implicitly acknowledges dependence on God and explicitly acknowledges God's greatness and goodness. And so it becomes that the more we know our sin, and the more we're aware of our sin, and the more we repent of our sin, the more we end up praising God. The more you know about your sin, repent your sin, the more your praise becomes real because you are thanking God for what he did. Because that's one of the main things that we praise for. We praise God is that he forgives our sins. So God doesn't want perfect praise, 
But God wants real praise. Real praise that can look at these words and look at the scripture and say, you forgave my sins. So, what are some of the things that we praise God for? What are some of the things that David praises God for? We can break these things down in two different categories. Number one is how God treats us. And this is when we look at the mercy and compassion of God. So we can see what is it is that God does for us. And the other category is who God is himself. So what he does for us and who God is. So first of all, we praise God for how he treats us. And this passage tells us three specific things. He loves us, he forgives us, and he has compassion on us. And he's got abundant love, forgiveness, and compassion. So first of all, let's look at this whole concept of forgiving his sins. To truly understand how he treats us, we need to understand how we should be treated. God is the creator of all things, and he is completely holy, and he does not sin. What is sin? Sin is disobeying God. Sin is doing what is wrong, right? God set up these laws for us to follow. And really, these laws are good and right. And if you think about it, if everybody obeyed God's laws, we would have this perfect, peaceful world. But we don't, because we all sin, right? People lie, people cheat, people steal. And even ourselves, right? Every one of us is inherently selfish. We want our own way. We want to put ourselves first. We want what we want, right? And we're inherently prideful as well. And so whenever there's a sin, there must be a punishment. If someone steals something, there should be a punishment and there should be restitution because of that. And we understand this deep inside. All of us understand this. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, you inherently understand this. And this is who we are. That's how come when we watch the news and we some, see some uh, you know, atrocity, we're outraged, right? And we demand that justice be done. We just want to see that right. But what's funny is that we all want judgment and justice when it comes to the other person. <laughs> but, but none of us really wants justice for ourselves. We don't really want what we deserve. Because what do we deserve? We deserve to be judged for our sins. We deserve to be judged for our sins. And the only, and the final judgment of our sins is separation from God for eternity. But what God did was God treated us not in the way that we should be treated. But God gave his only son to die on the cross to take our sins so that if we believe in him and we repent and ask for his forgiveness, he does forgive us. But what happens after that? We, we recognize our sin. We go to God. We forgive our sins. We become Christians. What do we do next? We continue to sin, right? It's who we are. And some of us really struggle with this feeling that God is always mad at us. Or God always feels like we're letting him down. And God is always disappointed in us because we are Christians and we should know better. We're Christians, we should act better. We're Christians, we should live better. And yet we continue to sin. So we have this sense that God is always disappointed with us. And so let's kind of put a face to that. Jim's a Christian. He's repented. He's asked God to forgive him. But he still struggles with sin. And he feels like God is always, always mad at him. 
He feels like God is always condemning him, and he feels like God is just plain disappointed in him. What does this passage say? What does this passage say to Jim? What does this passage say to us? It says, God is merciful. It says, God is gracious. God is slow to anger, and he's abounding in love. It says he will not always chide, which means to uh, rebuke or reprimand, uh, <laughs> reprimand, scold, to chide, old word. Um, but he says he's not going to stay angry forever. And he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. That's word for word. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. But instead he says this. He says as far as the east is from the west, I will remove your sins. He will remove our sins as far as they possibly can be removed. So think about it this way, right? You get on a plane and you head west doing 500 miles an hour and your sins get on a plane and they go east 500 miles an hour. In one hour, how far are your sins away from you? Can we do the math? A thousand miles, right? 500 miles this way, 500 miles that way, right? As far as the east is from the west. So now picture that same plane going east, going west and going east, and they don't go around the world. They just keep going that way. How far are those sins away from you in a day, in a year, in a lifetime? They are just taken away. And this is what God is saying. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sins are removed from you. And we hold on to this, and we think that God is always angry and upset, and yet God is saying, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just, and I will forgive your sins. I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sins are going to go away. He says these sins are going away, and they aren't coming back. And why does he do this? Because of his abounding love. He does this because of his abounding love. See, often when we sin, we also struggle, and we also feel like God doesn't love us anymore. But he says this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. When you're a kid, did you ever try to jump up and touch the sun? <laughs> or was I the only one? <laughs> but I remember trying to do that, right? And did you ever picture just throwing a baseball and just having to keep going? Keep going into outer space, past the moon, and just keep going and going and going, right? Have you ever tried to picture how long is eternity? How big is infinity? And this is what God is saying. He's saying, my love is so big, my love is so great, it is completely unimaginable. We couldn't ever get to the other side of our solar system, let alone the, the other side of space. It's just, where's the end of it? We can't find it. He's talking about the heavens. He's like, this is how great my love is for you. And that's how much he loves us. Again, put this in context. That's how much he loves us after we have sin. After we have sinned, he says, this is how great my love is for you. He loves us. And that is something that we can really, truly praise him for. 
So how can he love us after we have sinned? It's because his love and his compassion work together. His love and his compassion work together. He shows us his compassion by comparing it to a father. And he knows how weak we really are. And he's gentle and he's compassionate. He says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. This is one of the most amazing things that I found in this entire passage. And I wish I had some way to really, you know, eloquently or uneloquently just portray exactly what he's trying to say. But God knows you. And God knows your weaknesses. And God knows your frailties. And he treats you like a compassionate father. So picture this, right? A mom warns her child about putting her hand on the stove. She tells them all the reasons not to. She starts to describe all the stuff to do it. And this is the law, this is the rule. You do not touch the stove. So the mom puts the water on for the macaroni and cheese. She reaches to the cupboard to get the plates on. And while she's reaching for the cupboard to get the plates, the child reaches for the burner and puts his hand on it. The child is instantly burned and she starts screaming and she runs to her mom with her burnt little fingers. What does the mom do? What does the mom do? She grabs the child, she holds it in her arms and she wipes away the child's tears. And this is the compassion that God has for us, right? Because he knows us and he knows our weaknesses, and our frailties. And he knows that like that child with that burner, we don't really understand the impact of our sin. We really don't understand the impact of our sin. And we don't really understand what the danger of our sin is. But God does. And God is compassionate, like the father who has compassion for his child, like the mother who has compassion for her child after the child disobeyed, after the child sinned. The mother still has compassion. And God has this compassion on us. One of the commentators after, after reading this asked the question, what seems to be most important? Is it personal souls or important principles? Is it the soul or the principle? And the answer is clear, it's the personal soul. We sin and God has his compassion that the child does. And God cares more about you than he does about this set of rules. And this is why he forgives you. If the rules were more important, he would never forgive. But he does forgive. And he does have compassion on us. And he does love us like the father or the mother. So those are the things that God does for us. We can also praise God for who he is. This passage tells us clearly that he is the king of kings. It says his throne is in heaven. He, his kingdom rules all. He's the creator of all things. And yet he's gracious and he's slow to anger and he's abounding in love. You know, our lives are short, but his kingdom is everlasting. 
He says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. His place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the loving creator. He is the king of kings. He is the savior. And as this passage point out, he heals us. He redeems us. He crowns us. He satisfies us. He renews us. And he brings us into his kingdom. So I'm going to spend just a couple minutes on some practical applications of this psalm. The first one is remind yourself to praise God. Remind yourself to praise God. Because what happens in real life? We forget to praise God. Or we feel like we're not holy enough, right? We're not good enough. We're not spiritual enough. So we don't praise him with all that is within us. Our praise feels short. So David encounters this too. And what does David do? David talks to himself. The first five verses of this psalm are David talking to himself. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. He's telling himself. He's like, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Don't forget what he did. See, David realized that his tendency is to forget, and it's to not praise. So he says to himself, praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. And we need to do the same thing as well. But what happens is we listen to ourselves all the time. And we listen. And, you know, it's like, what do I feel like doing? What do I do here? What do I do this? But we feel, we kind of like tag around after ourselves. But we need to talk to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. And we need to say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's what David says. David says, oh, my soul, praise the Lord. He's telling himself and he's reminding him. Uh, number two, uh, just kind of a practical way to think <laughs> through this thing is what's the difference between praise at home and praise when you're at church or a small group or some thing where there's other people praise is not just for the individual person this is another uh, commentator says this he says praise is linked with the believing community's joy in the person of God most of the praise in the Old Testament is corporate Though an individual certainly could praise God in private. Most praise comes for those who are filled with this sense of joy of who God is and, and, and how deeply he is committed to his people. So most of the Old Testament praise is praise that's corporate praise. And so there is a difference between being at home and praising God and being in this corporate situation. And that's why it's different on Sunday mornings than it is at home. That's why it's different when you're at you know, a small group or a conference or a retreat. Right? Because praise at home is often spontaneous. Right? We see God working and we say, wow, thank you. I mean, it just kind of flashes at us. We're seeing it. It's, it's like the story that the guy who sees this green light. He's like, wow, thank you. Or you know, my mom, is, my mom always does this. She, she drives into the grocery store. She's, she's in her 70s now. And, but I think she's been doing this since she was in her, her 20s. <laughs> so, so we just don't choose. But she drives into, the, into a store and she always prays for a parking lot or a parking spot up front. And whenever she gets one, this is the gift from God. And she's so thankful. And she'll tell us, she'll be like, oh, yeah, it was, I went to the grocery store. I was praying for a parking spot. And I got the one that was right next to the handicapped one. So I was like way up front. And, you know, it's this spontaneous 
It's a spontaneous praise, and that's what it's like. The other time that personal praise is often is is when we're is when we're reading our Bible or we're or we're meditating, right? And at this time, it's quiet, it's calm, it's personal, right? We're reading our scripture, and we stop mid-sentence and just stop and think about it. And it's like, this is your steadfast love. You have compassion on me like a father. And this is after I've sinned. This is after you've forgiven me. And I have that. And we stop. It's quiet. It's calm. It's personal. Corporate worship, on the other hand, is much more open, right? It's filled with way more emotion, right? Some people raise their hands or they're smiling and they have their hands outstretched. Other ones kind of bow their heads and they're quiet. And sometimes there's tears that are coming, um, you know, out of their eyes. Uh, and God understands this difference. And there's a right that there's a difference between our private worship and our corporate worship. He expects it to be different when we're at church and we're at home. Uh, the other takeaway, and we cannot, we cannot miss this, right? Because in this picture, we have a, in this passage, we have this picture of what God is like. And we have this picture of what God does when someone offended them. And God clearly tells us that we are to imitate him. We're to be holy as he is holy. We see this throughout scriptures that we are to do this. Right? So think about how God treats us. He treats us with understanding. He treats us with compassion, with love, and with patience, and with this gentleness. And he's slow to get angry. And he doesn't repay us because of what we did. He knows our frailty. He knows our weaknesses. So the question is, how do you treat those around you? Do you treat them with understanding and with compassion? Do you look at them and think about their frailties and their weaknesses and treat them that way? Or do you become instantly offended at what they do? So you think, how dare you do that? Especially after all I've done for you. When they do something wrong and they do apologize to you and you do forgive them, is that it? Is it as far as the east is from the west, it's gone? Or do you always remember? Never forgetting. Bringing it up the very next time that you're mad or you're upset. You have this list of offenses in your mind at all times, ready to be taken out at a moment's notice. Do you treat them as they deserved to be treated? Wouldn't it be great to treat others like God treats us? Wouldn't it be great if this is what we were like inside in our hearts, it's the way we thought, it's the way we spoke, it's the way we acted. And with the Holy Spirit, we can. The Holy Spirit's help we can. Because God gives us this picture of himself and he tells us to imitate what he does. And he tells us in our very nature that we're to be merciful and gracious, that we are to be slow to anger, that we are to be abounding in steadfast love. That we're not always to be chiding, always to be upset, always dealing with others according to what they've done. And so I encourage you to let the people in your life know and see and feel your love, your compassion, your forgiveness. To say to them, as God loves me, I will love 
you. And so finally, praise God for the stuff that you see. All around you, praise God for the things that you see. You know, there's so many things that God does, that God does around us and for us and through us and the people around us. You see, your praise doesn't have to be perfect. But it doesn't have to be real. And so we can see these places that God has treated us. And we can see these places where God has forgiven us. And we can see our sins. And we can praise God for forgiving our sins. And that is real praise. Because we have really sinned. And we have really repented. And God has really forgiven us. And so we can really praise Him. And, you know, one other thing is that I've always struggled with being an emotive person who prays. My personality isn't just, you know, raising arms and everything else like that. So sometimes I've wondered, will I really praise like David does? Or like David did, where I'm like, praise the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. And I'm always comforted by uh, Revelations chapter 7. Because it says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes, white palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne. They worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. When we talk about that corporate worship being different than private worship, imagine what it's going to be like when we are surrounded by multitudes and multitudes. And there becomes millions of people together. And there becomes this myriad of angels. And we have these, uh, these you know, the four living creatures and the and um, the elders are the ones who stand around the very throne of God. They are the closest to God. And just imagine what it's going to be like when corporally we're all together and we're praising God together. So if you have any fear that your personality is this, that way, let me put it to rest because it will <laughs> you will be praising God at that time corporately together. So praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Let me just close in prayer. Father God, we come before you now, Lord, and we just thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for your compassion, for your love, Lord. We thank you just for your forgiveness. We thank you that you don't demand perfection from us. We thank you, Lord, that we can praise you with the reality and real praise that understands that we sin and we fail and we fall. And yet you forgive us. And you love us. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far our sins goes. As far as the heavens are from the earth, that's how great your love is. The way a father or a mother loves their child is the compassion with which you give us. So we just thank you, Lord, for that now. And we just praise you in your precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission.
King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.